my heart breaks from. Okay, we're going to go three, two, one. Good morning and welcome back to the Closers Inner Circle podcast with Ben Gay III and Denise Griffiths. Quite literally, the last protege of Napoleon Hill, Ben Gay III, that's important because Ben Gay is kind of a common name and he'll tell you why he got the third, has been called a living legend in the sales world. After 50 plus years in professional selling, he has been the number one salesperson in every organization in which he has worked. And he joins me each Wednesday on this podcast to share how you too can become a successful master closer. And today we are working from the closers part two. And if you don't have the closers in your entrepreneurial library, you can easily order them directly from Ben and I will get him to tell you how to do that when we're in this podcast, but they will arrive signed and with free shipping and a money back guarantee. So order them, have them with you when we are on this podcast and you can learn to be a successful professional salesperson. So today we are opened in part two to 145, page 145. I love your titles, man. The good refrigerator is only 18 cents more. And I know there's a story to go with that. Of course. <laughs> like you, I'm from the South. There's a story to go with everything. We are storytellers, I'll tell you. We know how to tell the story. Yeah, somebody asked me the other day on a interview of some sort, uh, you're known as a, as a good storyteller. Where did that come from? So I was raised in Atlanta. <laughs> you know, that's the answer. Uh, everybody I knew was a storyteller. All the ministers were fantastic storytellers. Uh, the bosses, my mentors, everybody taught in word pictures and in stories. I didn't know any other way to talk. And when I found out it was a skill, I thought, oh, my God, I've had a skill my whole life and didn't know about it. That's wonderful. So it's the the way it goes. The uh, title of that chapter, if you know, Reduce It to the Ridiculous, almost explains it all. But here's what I was talking about. Jay Douglas Edwards taught us a phrase, reduce it to the ridiculous get it down by the day, by the hour, by the price, what it really is, what have you. And all of a sudden, a, a, a substantial discount of uh, or difference in price of hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars gets reduced down to something they can envision uh, that doesn't amount to anything. Uh, in the actual, the last paragraph in that chapter picks up on the titles. It says refrigerators last 20 years or more. The difference between the cheapest one you can buy and the best one on the market is about 18 cents, just 18 cents a day. And any master closer can surely collect an extra 18 cents a day for the vastly improved benefits they give his or her customers, right? Years ago when I was, uh, uh, training uh, salespeople in the automobile industry in the South, air conditioning on a car didn't come automatic. It was uh, an extra, and uh, you had to order it. And that might, unless I had one on the lot, that might delay the car's delivery two weeks because everything you put on the car changed what the car was. 
with the joke, and I heard people actually use it, but I, I used it as a joke in training, was, uh, and I don't have the math in front of me, but something along the lines of, the air con- yes, the air conditioner is $500 extra or 400 or whatever it was in those days, but you're going to have the car five years probably. Therefore, it's so much a year, so much a day, so much how many times you drive your car a day, two or three was usually the answer. And rather quickly, the $500 objection became something to which you could say, so you're willing to sweat like a pig all summer long to save 25 cents a day? Really? Have you told your wife about this? Exactly. (laughs) The ladies yeah, the ladies always seem to be a little more sensitive about temperature and comfort and so on, where a man, you know, well, I can tough it out. Anybody can tough it out, hasn't been in the South in the summer on a hot day. I can't imagine uh, driving around without air conditioning. Uh, the first car, I remember my dad had a 1948 Lincoln Continental, that beautiful one that Edsel Ford designed uh, personally before they hung the his name on a loser, but the 1948 Lincoln Continental was really a gorgeous automobile. And he had the black convertible with the tan top, the classic. But what my friends liked about it was they'd never ridden in a car with air conditioning. And probably looking back, the air conditioning was a little primitive compared to today. I really don't remember, but just common sense tells me that because his Lincoln was a 1948 model. And uh, But my friends would say, well, Mr. Gay, will you take us? Will you take us? Because they wanted to get in the air conditioning and sit right in front of a blower. It was a big deal to them. But the difference in the car for the five or 10 years we had that car was probably a total of five, $500, if that and broken down by the day, it was nothing. But it was the most popular car in the neighborhood because it had air conditioning. Whatever your price objection is, or there's other ways to do it, but price is the easiest way to talk about it. Break break it down to what they're really dealing with. Because the, the, if the better refrigerator is 18 cents more a day, I drop that much and change by accident every day. Uh, it's it's nothing, but it's not nothing until you point it out to the client or the prospect. They have to have a word picture drawn for them. I love that you say so, word pictures because that's how I think. I think in pictures. I can see it in mm-hmm. my head. I know what's going to happen. That's how I build websites. But when you're talking about air conditioning and cars, I live in the deep south, way deep south. I'm 15 miles from the Gulf as a crow flies. I'm equidistant between Hurricanes Katrina and Rita. You get the picture. It's hot. Mm -hmm. We have two seasons, (laughs) hot and hotter in hell. And interspersed between those two seasons is six months of hurricane season. So it doesn't cool down. Really, but and I'm also in the middle of you know oil field countries and Cajun country, oil field country, fascinating people. But I just had a flashback to a story that I heard in in a coffee shop. A bunch of old, old Cajun guys are sitting around, and I love to listen to them because they all have. We've talked about this. They all have different accents, and mm. oh, this just popped into my head. I'd forgotten about this, but they were talking about this salesperson that none of them really liked. I guess he just 
was hardcore sales and just wouldn't back down. And I think he irritated a lot of people from what I could tell. But they were laughing because he had a brand new car and it was a beautiful car. And he would run around town with his windows rolled up trying to convince everybody in town that he had air conditioning. He didn't. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, if you get in a car in this kind of humidity with no windows cracked and no air conditioning, you might as well just have a barf bag handy because you're not going to make it. I can't can't (laughs) imagine yeah well and i think that's what they were talking about he wouldn't even open mm-hmm. up the little windows and i guess that's what he what they were saying but i had forgotten about that so thank you for that memory <laughs> there's a, a lot of stories like that where people are faking or bluffing or whatever uh but really suffering they're paying the price. Exactly. So pay the 18 cents. You know, just pay the money. Get the air conditioning. That's crazy. A lot of friends with those wing windows. And for your listeners who are not as old as I am, a wing window was a little shaped like a Vicks cough drop. Small window in the very front of the car uh, after the side window and before the windshield. And that was air conditioning for a lot of people. You cracked that wing window and blew it on you. But as you know, in the South, you're just blowing hot, wet air on you. Probably better than nothing. And it evaporates the sweat you've already built up. (laughs) Not me. uh, I've got curly hair and it turns into haggard hair. The minute my hair hits the humidity, I can feel it popping up all over the place. It's (laughs) horrible. I can feel the little ring just going ding, ding, ding. It's embarrassing. but. When when we're talking about, you know, reduce it down to the ridiculous, it really is not that difficult to do. Like you said, you know, did you tell your wife this? Are you and your five kids going to be running around in a car with no air conditioning? Are you kidding me? Save your marriage. (laughs) Seriously, save your marriage. Save your life. Absolutely. The, uh, and there's, as you said, there's so many ways you can do it. Just whenever you're in selling and you're in a situation where you have a big problem, break it down. Uh, You know, the the first question can cut away half of the objection. Years ago, speaking of Dr. Napoleon Hill, I lost a bet to him. And the bet was that I could pick any word. I had a big unabridged dictionary sitting on my desk. In fact, I still have the same one within 10 feet of where I'm sitting. Um, but, you know, but, um, just to make up numbers, it's got a thousand pages. I think it has more than that. But a thousand pages and a million words, let's say. He said to me, um, pick any word, make up a word, look through the dictionary and pick a word you don't think that I could possibly know. And so I did that. And he said, now write down, so so we can't, we won't get in an argument about what one of us or the other of us said, write down the word, I wrote down the word, he said, write the page that it appears on, and I did that, and then he said, now, there's, I notice there's a column in, on every page, or two rows of words with definitions, I said, okay, he said, write down the column that it's in. So I did. He said, okay, now there won't be any arguing. And uh, I get to ask you 20 questions. 
to which all you have to answer is yes or no. And I'll bet you, I forget what it was, let's say a hundred, I'll bet you a hundred dollars that I can get the word uh, within 20 questions. Well, I'm thinking definitions, you know, and strange spellings and, and so on. Well, I said, okay, thinking, I'm going to take $100 off Dr. Napoleon Hill. How do I handle that? I felt, A, because of his age. He was 84 at the time. Uh, I felt bad about doing that. B, it was Dr. Napoleon Hill. And this poor old man had just made a stupid bet that I, the young, sharp guy, was going to win and take advantage of. And he said, okay, you ready? And I said, yeah. He said, remember, we're talking about a 1,000 pages, just for argument's sake. He said, is your word on page, page, between pages one and 500? And I looked and I said, no. He said, okay. You know, he, he said, before I go on, and you may not understand the significance of that, significance of that I have 20 questions to ask you. I've, I've used one. But with that one, I've eliminated 500,000 words in the English language. He said, as we go on, you'll feel the vice tightening. <laughs> I have to and ask real quick, though, did he have an eidetic memory? No, you don't need a memory for this. Oh, he, keep going. He said, he said uh, second question, is it between pages 501 and 750? And let's say I said yes. He said, okay, good. He said, now, most people would assume that I'm narrowing in because I've got it down within 250 pages. But the significance is I just eliminated another quarter of the English language. So with uh, within two questions, three quarters of the English language has disappeared. We're now down to one quarter. And I, it still didn't fully set in, but I realized I was in over my head. So then he asked another question, cutting the remainder in half and another, cutting the remainder in half. And so pretty quick, we were down to one page. And uh, then he said, is it in the right-hand column? And I said, yes or no, whatever it was. And then he said, he put his hand over, he said, is it above my hand? Which left, you know, seven or eight words. And I said, yes or no. And he moved his hand again. And on the 17th question, he picked the most obscure word I could find on short order in the English language. And he had it, and I had to give him $100 or whatever the bet was. But that's reducing it to the ridiculous, cutting it down. When you face a big sales problem, don't look at this huge thing. Start chipping away. It's like the sculptor who when at, he did a magnificent elephant out of a big piece of granite or marble or something. And they said, how did you do that? And he said, well, I just chipped away everything that didn't look like an elephant. Right. I, that, saw, that, that, I saw something the other day, a meme or something. I think it was weight loss and there's this giant thing of clay and the bottom half was just this giant ball of clay. But the top half was Adonis basically chiseling away at that bottom lump of clay. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was a perfect, you know, visual for you have I'm not to. I'm sure it's the same one you were looking at, but the uh, um, the example is the same. Right. The top half of the body is there and you're working on the bottom half. 
exactly. while, uh, while we were talking, I'm going to have to change my math examples. Uh, someone was kind enough to hand me my unabridged dictionary. Hi, and Gigi. I know who that was. Yeah. <laughs> Tell her hi. 2,214 pages in it. But the concept is still the same. When he asked me the first question, he eliminated 1,100 pages and he began chiseling it away. So the $500 problem becomes the $100 problem when you point out you're going to have the car five years, becomes the 33 cent problem when you're, you know, whatever, and all the way down. So if you can just take big problems and reduce, it's like a government worker comes in every morning and finds a molehill on his desk, and his job is to turn it into a mountain by 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, a salesperson's job, you come in and you find a mountain, and your job is to get it down to a very small molehill, reduce it to the ridiculous, ask questions, word pictures, the fact the air conditioning in the car is really just pennies a day is interesting. It gets more interesting when the person pictures he and his spouse or she and her spouse sweating in a hot car. Mm-hmm. And there are things like that today. I guess everybody has air conditioning. I don't think I've been in a car without it in 40 years. But there are lots of things in life that are easy for people to picture. So picturing riding around, like you just said, with the, the guy who rolled up the window so people would think he had air conditioning, <laughs> that's classic. <laughs> it's Consider really that funny. Stolen. You can have it. <laughs> I mean, you know, what, and you have to picture this. I'm sitting in a coffee shop. I don't drink coffee, but it was close to my, I had a brick and mortar business at one time. I was a jeweler and it was close by. So I would wander over there and just take a break and grab a cup of tea or something and there was this i called it the old boys table the old and really they were the old boys and there were nine or ten people who showed up every day and i started showing up at the same time because i was fascinated with these conversations and i knew one or two of them so they say hey and i say i'm just eavesdropping okay (laughs) they just keep on going (laughs) i'm just here to listen to y'all you're fascinating and of course all of them being from different little towns and hamlets, there was no Cajun accent that sounded the same. You could tell where they were from, if they were from New Iberia or Palm Brough mm-hmm. or you know, wherever they were from. And the stories they would tell, but when they told that story, I lost it because we get salespeople coming into the jewelry store all the time and they can be enthusiastic. <laughs> I kept thinking, I wonder <laughs> if I knew this old boy. I'm sure he was dead by then, but oh my God, it was the funniest thing. Well, the uh, You just, by the way, mentioned something that really is important in uh, uh, selling, and that's listening and learning. You, you, you know, you overheard it, conversations with them, uh, and that was fine and fascinating and all. But you also learned a lot. You had to have learned a lot of wisdom that they don't even know is wisdom. They think it's life. And uh, you listen in on. And then you you can turn that into any kind of story you want. Here's a brand new story about, what, 12 hours old. Gigi and I are in a Chinese restaurant having dinner. Uh, We walked in to have dinner. And as I walked in, there were three people at the first booth, and one of them was facing me. 
and she was, I'm guessing, well, she told me later, she's 87. I started to say 80s or 90s, but uh, she was 87, and she was elegant. You know what I'm, what I'm talking about, the perfectly uh, set white hair with the clip in the back and uh, the earrings just right and a matching necklace and a nice-looking thing. She was really elegant. And uh, I said to Gigi, I'm going to give that woman before she leaves or as she's leaving the strangest compliment she's ever had. And uh, she will love it. And Gigi said, what is it? I said, no, I'm not going to tell you because then you'll cut me off because you'll say I shouldn't say that. (laughs) And so you're going to have to hear it when she hears it. Cabot Robert used to say to people, Cabot, the father of the modern speaking industry and one of our co-founders at the National Speakers Association, used to say, uh, he probably said it about other people, but he said it to me frequently because he knew I loved it. Ben Gay could tell you to go to hell and have you looking forward to the trip. So as this people, these people three behind us started to get up, I said, Gigi, I'm going to tell this lady that she looks like an old whore that I knew. And, uh, and she's going to love it. That was Gigi's reaction. <laughs> but here's, here's what I was talking about. Sally Stanford, the madam of San Francisco. Uh, you knew her? Layered, uh, yeah, she was a good friend. Layered, later, the mayor of Sausalito. She was defeated the first time because she ran under her own name, which nobody knew. I can't even think of it right now. Instead of Sally Stanford, which is how everybody knew her. So by the second election, she had her name legally changed to Sally Stanford. Now they knew who they were dealing with, and they made her mayor overwhelmingly. But in Sausalito, California, she owned a restaurant called Valhalla, and it was just a wonderful place to go. But the most striking thing in the restaurant was when you walked in, you came down one side of, of a bar as you were approaching the dining room, then it took a left, and there was some more bar. Sitting at the corner, at the peak of the bar, always was Sally, uh, and dressed elegantly with beautiful jewels on it. You've been in the jewelry business, I uh, and Gigi's in the costume jewelry business, but uh, I don't know one thing from another. But when I saw Sally the first time, there was no doubt in my mind that those were real diamonds. I mean, there's <laughs> there's a difference. The, the finest rhinestone can't look as good as her jewelry looked. And she had fascinating backstories. The United Nations, uh, it formed in San Francisco in 1948. After they did all their formal stuff on the floor, uh, many of the movers and shakers would come to Sally's house of ill repute for whatever reason, but among the reasons was it was a beautiful par- parlor and they would send a, sit in it, smoke cigars, uh, and uh, sip whiskey. And there the United Nations was formed. So she would tell me stories about Dog Hammershield and one that you won't find in any history book. You've got to be a madam in a whorehouse <laughs> to hear <laughs> these stories. I don't doubt <laughs> and, it. Yeah, but she sat at the end of that bar looking like the queen of England. She really technically wasn't a pretty lady, but dolled up she was, and and not overdone, just elegant. 
and I, I walked in and I knew she owned it, but I, I'd never met her. I walked in, saw her sitting there and I walked over and I said, uh, I'm just going to take a shot in the dark. I said, my name is Ben Gay and you are Sally Stanford. And she said, yes, sit down, young man. And she patted the stool next to her and I sat down and a friendship was born. She was just wonderful. So what I was telling this lovely lady last night was, you are absolutely elegant, uh, and you remind me of an old friend of mine. You may have heard of her, Sally Stanford, and she said, Valhalla, Madam of San Francisco, and I take it as a compliment, oh. and gave me a kiss on the forehead. And I told you, oh. I said, see? <laughs> and I don't know if, if uh, to this day, I don't know if Sally practiced her trade. Uh, but she was at least a madam and maybe a working girl somewhere along the way also. But uh, if you phrase it properly, you can uh, you can tell anybody, any, Ben Gay can tell you to go to hell and make you look forward to the trip. I can tell Gigi, I'm going to tell that lady, she reminds me of an old whore I knew. <laughs> was eating a noodle or something. She almost sucked it down her throat. No, don't do that. I You're trying you to why. kill your wife. Shame on yeah. you. <laughs> cute Sally story this is off the beaten track as we frequently get but I'm sitting there talking to her one night and uh, my first wife who's now passed away was was with me Marsha was her name and she got up and went to the restaurant while she was gone uh, this lady came up and said Miss Stanford I've always wanted to meet you my husband is a is a dear friend of yours, doctor. So I remember he was a doctor, doctor so and so. And I I'll tell him we saw each other. And she said, I'm really sorry, I've never heard of him. Well, yeah, you know, doctor so and so did this, worked here. Oh, she said, I'm terribly sorry. I just I've met a lot of people, but I don't know a doctor by that name in San Francisco or anywhere else. And the lady, somewhat dejected, walked away. And I said, Sally, that lady, her husband knew you. I could hear the details in her description are too clear. And she said, Ben, if Marsha walked out of that bathroom right now and asked me if I knew Ben Gay, the answer would be I'd never heard of him. Discretion. Sally is yeah, yeah. Sally, as a madam to powerful people, uh, was including one of Gigi's uncles who uh, passed away not too long ago at 90-something. And she said, Gigi said, yeah, he knew Sally. And I said, well, unless you want to hear the truth, don't go any farther. Because <laughs> if he knew Sally, it was business. She was all business. She was either uh, working with you in San Francisco in her original trade or feeding you food at Valhalla. There was no in-between. I never saw Sally outside of that restaurant. We were buddies, but it was 100% business. Was well, that makes sense. I mean, if you're going to be in her particular industry and a politician, which to me the industries are not all that dissimilar, you right. have to have <laughs> some discretion. Really, some. I don't know how I got from reduce it to the ridiculous to Sally Stanford, the madam, but uh, that's the way my mind works. 
Well, yours and mine too. And you have mentioned Jay Douglas Edwards here and in other conversations we've had. And you sent me um, the book that you wrote for him. Let's talk about Jay Douglas Edwards and the importance that he had in sales and in your life. Happy to. uh, The book for our listeners is Sales Closing Power. Doug never wrote a book. And after he died, his son or his widow, somebody in the family asked me if I would write one for him. So using my notes, my personal experience, and um, the uh, his own recordings, I had them transcribed and then plucked out the best things. So he might as well have written it. I just did it for him. I was sort of a typist. And uh, we put it together, and it's a, a great book. And in the front of the book, I tell the story of how I met Doug. I, I'd been to seminars that he had done. There used to be a company called American Sales Masters, and they hired Zig Ziglar and J. Douglas Edwards and sort of the generation that preceded me, although I appeared for them a few times towards their end. But American Sales Masters would bring in these people, and I had been to a couple of seminars where I was just in the audience listening. So I'd learned that much from him. But then I won a sales contest of some sort. Something was going on in Atlanta, and the prize was go to, uh, I think it was Miami, to an American Sales Masters meeting or convention, I think they called them, and uh, have a private dinner with J. Douglas Edwards. So I was really excited about it and uh, uh, went down. Oh, and I'd sit in the front row. And uh, so I sat in the front row, took notes, which 40 years later showed up in the book, and uh, listened intently. And then when the meeting was over, he came down. He says, I understand you're Ben Gay and you're the young man that I'm going to take to dinner. And I said, yeah. So we go into the ballroom at the whatever hotel, the Fountain uh, Blue, maybe, I forget. And... Uh, uh, we walk into the dining room, and it's filled with people generally from the meeting or there for that reason. And uh, as soon as we walked in, it was like somebody put a blanket over the speaker. It just the sound muffled down to nothing. And somebody whispered, that's J. Douglas Edwards. And the whole room stood and cheered just for him walking in. I thought, that's interesting. And I sort of thought to myself, there's a goal. They didn't say there's J. Douglas Edwards and Ben Gay. They didn't know who I was. Maybe they thought I was a waiter or something. But uh, we go over to the table, sit down. The waiter comes over. And uh, keep in mind, this is a lot of years ago when $100 is 1000 today. And uh, the guy comes over and says, uh, uh, and how may I help you this evening? And Doug handed him a $100 bill, which he already had pulled out and positioned in a pocket. He didn't go looking through his wallet. Gave him a $100 bill, and he says, uh, all we're going to need is water. This young man says he wants to be a salesman, and we're going to accomplish that. So the guy takes $100, brings two glasses of water. I Doug might have had a big lunch. I hadn't. I was on the plane. Oh, I was a little disappointed to see the food go away but or not come. But he, the guy took the $100, brought two glasses of water, and Doug began talking. And uh, he talked pretty much nonstop. I asked a few questions along the way until the vacuum cleaner 
started running. Maybe you've been at a bar or a restaurant and you've heard that sound. It means uh, you're not done, but we are. <laughs> you know? Go home. Yeah, the lights are being turned up, the vacuum cleaner's running, and that ended the meeting except for wandering out in the lobby and chatting for a few minutes. But we devoted, I'm guessing, over three hours nose-to-nose talking. And a lot of the things that uh, he told me are in the book. They also were in his seminars. He was guilty of what a lot of us in the seminar business do. What appeared to be a casual conversation was lifted right out of his seminar. You know, it wasn't the first time he'd said that to anybody, and uh, but they still played well. Here's one that I heard just the other day. Uh, if you have a built-in, it's in the book. It was at that dinner. I've heard him say it numerous times when he worked for me in seminars after this, when I became president of the company. Uh, if you have a built-in objection, bring it up first and brag about it. Uh, the way I bring that to life when I was teaching people how to sell Rolls Royces was at uh, British Motors in San Francisco was you approach the customer, the prospect, hand them your card and say, hi, my name is Ben Gay. And it's such a pleasure to meet you. Well, thank you very much. Let me tell you why it's a pleasure to meet you. Uh, people who can, uh, I, I work all day with people who have been successful enough to be able to afford to invest. I'm making up numbers. I don't remember what they were now or what they are, uh, what they are now or what they were then. Who can afford to invest $350,000 in an automobile. That is just magnificent. Well, what we've done is we've brought up the price that's the biggest objection well deal no one's asking does it drive well they know that either from personal experience or from hearing about it their whole lives but what they're fearing unless they have money to burn is the price and how bad they're fearing it might determine whether they're worth spending any significant amount of time with if you say to somebody it's a pleasure to meet people who can afford to invest $350,000 in a car and their eyes dilate and they sort of vomit in the back of their throat, you, you might know that you've, at least you've saved yourself an afternoon of effort uh, because it's not an objection, it's a condition. They don't have $350,000 to put into a car. So that's take a built-in objection Bring it up first. Don't sit there waiting for the other shoe to drop and uh, brag about it. It's good news. It's $350,000 because that enables me to meet people like you. Fantastic. The one that has sprung to my mind, I, I doubt they ever heard of J. Douglas Edwards, but whoever trained them had is the one who writes the script that's now on television every few minutes for uh, AARP, American Association of Retired People, whatever it is. It's the old person's club. I'm in it. <laughs> I, I pay my $12 or whatever it is a year. But uh, they are a left-leaning, at, at the management level, a left-leaning organization. Not good or bad, they just are. Their membership, however, is right-leaning, old enough to have made some money and want to conserve it. That's when people, you know, Churchill or somebody said any 
any person who's not a liberal when they're young has no heart. Anyone who's not a conservative when they're old has no brain. So that's that's their problem. They're at the top of the management. They're left-leaning. Their membership is right-leaning. So the commercial, for why you should uh, make sure you have the right Medicare supplement is, and there's a male version and there's a female version, uh, spokespeople. Uh, but the script is the same. I may, I might not agree with everything AARP does, but when it comes to Medicare, et cetera, that's it. we have a built-in objection here. You're conservative. This organization is liberal. Uh, that may mess up your thinking. I agree. I understand. It's the old thing we drummed up years ago, feel, felt, found. I know how you feel. I felt the same way. Here's what... Uh, I and or others have found. So they say right up front, you may not like us instinctively because uh, to join, you have to admit you're getting up in years, 55, I think is when they let you in. And uh, we're left leaning if you know enough about us to know one way or the other. You either know nothing about us or you know we're left leaning. Let's get that out of the way right now. We're talking about Medicare supplements. Because what a buyer always wants to know is what's in it for me. Absolutely. They, they, yeah, they can mask it any way they want and color it up with fancy language. They still want to know what's in it for me. I have $200 in my pocket. You have a widget in your hand. Tell me something that will make me believe I'm better off with a widget than my $200 that I have in my pocket. What's in it? For me, and if you're in sales, as most of our listeners are, I hope, uh, if you're in sales, that that's really what you're uh, asking, and what you're trying to discover, because that's what they're thinking, and uh, anything else is. Uh, and when they say it's not the money, it's the money. <laughs> you know, it's not the money. It's the principle of the thing, which is Latin for. It's the money. I'm broke. It's always yeah. the money. They took apart the Nixon administration in Watergate with one, I forget what the guy's name is. He He's dead now. The Deep Throat, whatever his real name was, Clay uh, Feldman or something. I don't know. Uh, yeah, he said to uh, Woodward and Bernstein in the parking lot one night, follow the money. Oh. It's pretty pretty simple. Follow I use that term money. all the time. You know, anytime sure. I'm reading anything ridiculous online, which pretty much it's all ridiculous when it comes to the news reporting, mm-hmm. and I'm you know making air quotes under the word or around the word reporting, my first instinct is follow the money. It's all baloney. Yep. Follow the money. I took uh, a business problem to my mentor, my first mentor other than my father, William Penn Patrick, who owned the Holiday Magic Empire and all the various products and services in all the different countries. And I I said, Bill, I got a problem here. I'm trying to figure out. And I started drawing circles on the legal pad about so-and-so said this and so-and-so said this. It was two of our top distributors in a battle about something. And uh, you know, and then this happened, and this happened. He put his hand on top of my hand and my pen, and said, "Who got the money?" 
And I told him, he said, well, there's your guilty party. (laughs) That simplifies it, doesn't it? Who got the money? It's always the money. Right. And it really is. And, you know, people will say, oh, you know, money is an energy. It is. I mean, it really is. I mean, how you produce money is energy. You know, how you keep it, it it's all energy. And people right. think, oh, no, it's it's something tangible. I can hang on to it. No, you really can't. It's, it's I can't even explain this very well. But yeah, how, how your energy operates is what you're going to attract. It's also what you're going to repel. Mm-hmm. I, I like to describe money when people say, you know, money is evil. The Bible doesn't say that. It says the love of money is evil. Uh, money has no character. But I always like to uh, describe it by saying what a dollar bill is, is a certificate, assuming, assuming it wasn't taken at gunpoint or conned. Money is, or a dollar bill is, a certificate of achievement. Right. That's why Elon Musk or somebody has got 15 billion of them and you have 20. Well, that means divide 20 into 15 billion. He's given to willing buyers and sellers. He's given that much value to somebody else. And in return, they gave him certificates of achievement. And he's got a bunch of them because he has, to a degree, changed the world. I'm and if that you change the world for the good, you get lots of money. Certificates of achievement. I like that. Yeah. I really do. Let's, I want to, so Jay Douglas Edward was, was a friend of yours. He was mm-hmm. a mentor. And mm-hmm. I guess he kind of started you and Zig and everybody else down the sales road. Is that about right? Yeah, uh, Zig might argue with that because Zig was 18 years older than I was, and he was more of of Doug's generation than not. The greatest salesman I ever worked with, he and I have this as a running battle. Rucker, Jimmy Rucker. Was Jimmy Rucker, my running buddy in high school. Nobody knew he could sell, and he came to work for my father at the same time I did in the food brokers business, and my dad spotted it. He said, Rucker, everybody called him by his last name. He said, Rucker, uh, you could be a great salesman. You have it. And Golden, the movie producer, once said, I don't know what it is, but I know it when I see it. And uh, Rucker was that. Neither Rucker nor I could tell you why he was such a great salesperson other than people trusted him. They liked him and trusted him. And he was great. Anyway, he attributes, he says he never would have been a great salesman if it hadn't been for Jay Douglas Edwards. Well, Rucker and I joined the business, Holiday Magic Cosmetics, on the same day, at the same time, in the same meeting. And uh, he'd never heard of Doug Edwards till that moment. And then we started learning together, and Doug was certainly among our teachers. And I was the more dominant personality. I wasn't as good a closer as Rucker was, but... I was the dominant personality in the team, and uh, I thought when he said, you know who I learned the most from selling, I sort of, you know, started tugging at my necktie like I'll try and act humble when he says my name out loud, (laughs) and and it it wasn't me. (laughs) It was J. Douglas Edwards, and then he started quoting. It was like he was reading from the book, Sales, Closing, Power. 
He taught me reduce it to the ridiculous. He told me bring it up first and brag about it. He told me when you ask a closing question in seminars, I, I can't do it on the phone, I'd blow out the speaker, but in seminars, he say, when you ask a closing question, then he would scream, shut up, you shut up. And uh, they would tell a story about he asked a closing question one time, and he said, by my watch, 20 minutes passed. And I used to think, well, that's uh, a little silly. Who's going to sit in silence for 20 minutes waiting for the other one to speak? I don't know if it was a true story or not, but I do know that I was with Rucker in the sales presentation and he asked the closing goal. They'd give, he'd given them all the details. They had all the information they needed. He asked a closing question. And then he stared at him for just a few seconds over 30 minutes and didn't say a word. In Doug's story, he says, and then you know what happened? He spoke and then guess what happened? He bought. Well, with Rucker, after 30 minutes of dead silence, I mean, I was thinking, I got to go to the bathroom. You know, (laughs) how long does this go on? But after 30 minutes, the guy said, well, all right, I'm in. Rucker had not not only had the closing ability, he had the courage to do it. See, I can teach a salesperson four or five closes that will carry him or her through their entire career successfully literally three or four and things to be aware of the problem is why haven't why don't they all do it it's lack of courage they don't have the courage to ask for the order a and if they get over that hurdle few of them do but if they get over that hurdle and the answer is an immediate yes they start talking again i've seen that and that's when you just say stop talking yeah yeah exactly right (laughs) so uh, uh, Rucker had the talent the innate talent people liked him and people do buy as a coin I turned many years ago people buy from people they know like trust and with whom they feel safe Rucker had that going for him people instinctively loved Rucker I have to work at them loving or liking me but he just had it automatically then he added specific scale sales skills to that uh he learned you know five clothes he probably learned 50 but let's say you know he learned some clothes that worked and he had the opening which is more important than closing he had the opening down pat they were already ready waiting to do what he told them to do and then the, the last magic ingredient he had the courage to actually do it. And that's where the rest of the team falls apart. They don't have the courage. I had to develop a closing ability. Oh, the other thing, another thing Doug Edwards talked about all the time was developing a closing instinct. One day in a seminar, somebody asked him, I don't, I don't think it was me, but somebody did. How do you develop a closing instinct? He said, you close too soon and too often because it's easier to teach you how to back off than it is to lean in. So okay, let's let's talk about that because mm-hmm. I know a lot of people, I, I see this and I'm sure other people do as well. 
But to them, maybe it's pressure from their employers. I don't know. But it's a numbers game. And you can tell if you're on the other side of that table, you know when you're just being reduced to a numbers game. You can tell. And I don't know about you, but I get kind of ticky about things like that. And I may want what it is that you're selling me, but all of a sudden, I don't like you. I don't like your attitude, and I'm leaving. Yep, that happens. Yeah. Uh, But a master closer, sales infiltrator, page 257 in the closers part two, uh, you'll never catch it. Cary Grant, the great old actor, said the secret of acting was not to get caught at it. The secret of selling is not to get caught at it. I've had people spend major amounts of money with me, and they thought we were just chatting. And then out of seeming to a casual observer out of nowhere, they would say something to the effect of, well, we got to get to lunch. Let's wrap this up. I'll take it. And huh. to a casual observer, people thought we were just chatting. All right. Right. You're, you're creating an environment where they know, like, trust, and feel safe with you. And people say, oh, yeah, but you've been selling years to develop those relationships. I can get a person to know, like, trust me, and feel safe with me in about five minutes. I can make yeah. it deeper and unshakable over the months and years and transactions and so on but I can get you to know, like, trust, and feel safe with me in five minutes. Well, and here's the thing, Ben, and I've heard you say this time and time again. When when you're selling something or to somebody, you're selling you. And I do the same yep. thing. I didn't realize I was doing it until I got to know you so well. But when I'm the face of my company, and I have to be the one that people can go to to say, oh, Denise, great job, or what the hell were you thinking on <laughs> that person? And I've had both of those things happen in this past week, so it's like, oh, good, oh, not so good, ah, but I have to be the one that, you know, takes it on the chin, so to speak. Yep, the... uh uh, it all comes back to you. First, I sell in it just, I'm not even thinking of a particular company, but let's say I'm working with a client company. First, I sell me. I want you to know, like, trust, and feel safe with me. I'll tell you a little bit about my experience to establish my bona fides, as we say in the South. And uh, we get that. Then I sell the company. And last, I sell the product and or service because if they don't know, like, trust, and feel safe with me, we're not going anywhere anyway. You know, unless it's an order-taking item, uh, you don't have to know, like, and trust the person behind the counter at McDonald's. That's order-taking. But if you're the one selling the McDonald's franchise to a serious investor, they better know, like, trust, and feel safe with you. And I saw somebody on television the other day, by the way, who started out flipping hamburgers or, you know, ringing up sale, whatever, the lowest menial job you can get at McDonald's. And people, kids today will say, uh, the uh, I, I wouldn't work at McDonald's. That's beneath my dignity. I want to be successful. This was an older gentleman. I don't mean old, old, but, you know, mature, gray in his hair, black gentleman. And he owned started out doing that. 
he owned 55 McDonald's franchise. And then the announcer pulled back and he said, and that doesn't count my children. They own 19. Started out flipping burgers. (laughs) Is that amazing? But you have to start somewhere. And, you know, this is a way aside here, but around here there's a lot of inherited wealth. There's a lot of farmers, a lot of, you know, oil field. Mm -hmm. A lot of these people have been in business forever and ever and ever. And pretty much from what I see, most of them don't believe in handing it off to their kids unless their kids have worked mopping the floors. They're not going to hand yeah. it off to, you know, maybe my son went to Stanford and he knows this, that, and the other, but he doesn't know spit about my business. They're pretty smart about that. It's like, you're not going to inherit if you haven't earned that inheritance. Absolutely. Same in business. The, uh, and uh, the, uh, if they break that rule, the money will not be there for the grandchildren. It only That's takes exactly them. right about a generation and a half to lose it all. I was walking past my dad's office one day when I worked for him, food brokerage. And uh, I looked in, I, I might've even glanced up at his nameplate on the door. I don't want to over-dramatize it, but for some reason, this was the moment he decided to break some bad news for me because I fully expected to inherit the business. It was named Brown Gay. Brown was no longer there. So it was, in essence, his, uh, and uh, he, I walked, I said, hey, Dad, how are you? He said, young man, come in here and sit down. Uh-oh. Uh, he said, he said, <laughs> I said, hi, how are you? Well, you know, I was supposed to be out calling on stores. Uh, and he said, uh, I get this, I'm paraphrasing, but the gist of it was, I get this creepy feeling when I come by, when you come by, almost like you're waiting for me to die. And I said, Dad, no. And he said, well, uh, that's the feeling I get. And I, and I, I want to explain to you your inheritance problem. Said, What's that? And he said, if I die, and if, he said, your mother and I live well, belong to the country club, drive nice cars, et cetera. There may not be as much money as you think. And you have a sister who's never given us any trouble, which is code for I had. And it took my third attempt to get through high school. I got thrown out of two schools before I finally graduated. And uh, he said, so here's the way I've got it figured out. If I plan it right, I'm going to die at work, which he did, with my last quarter in my pocket. And they pointed to a vending machine out in the hallway, and he said, "And with any luck, I'm going to lunge into that vending machine, drop the quarter in the slot, and if you're there, if you're there, you get to pull the handle. And I know you like Snickers bars, so oh. we're going to assume <laughs> you know, you're translated down. It was you're going to hear a Snickers bar, so." Uh, only if you're there to grab it though yeah you got to be there (laughs) that's right and he said is is rucker out in the lobby and i said well he's in the building somewhere should get him in here so rucker comes in and he and he loved both of us but he loved us so much he was willing to do what we needed to have done and he said uh rucker tonight uh i assume you're coming to ben's birthday party he said oh yes sir i'll be there he said good uh, rather than clutter up the party with presents and all, I want to give you 
Ben, I'm going to give you your birthday present now. And Rucker, since you're sewn at the hip with him, I'm going to give you yours too. And we, oh, okay, thank you. And he says, you're both fired. And I said, excuse me, it must be the acoustics in here. I, I thought you just said we're fired. He said, yeah, you've joined a little business on the side, Holiday Magic. You're probably already making more money there than you're making here, but you're afraid to leave. Security has gotten you. So I'm going to kick the security out from under you. You're not inheriting the company. You're not getting any significant amount of money from me. It all goes to your mother and your sister. And uh, unless you're here to get the Snickers bar uh, when I lunge into the machine. That's stuck in my... I can see it. It's stuck. Yeah. He said, so what I want you to do is develop some blank and go out there and make a go of it on your own. Uh, And then as we stood, the meeting was obviously over. As we stood up, he said, and... Don't be late. Your birthday party starts at seven. <laughs> we were still we were still in the family. We just weren't in the company anymore. So we go out in the parking lot, and Rucker said, "What the hell did you say to cause that?" And I just I truly don't know. But we better get serious about our business, and we did. So he really did you a big favor. Oh, absolutely. I didn't feel like it at that moment. No. But by the next day, I was sort of excited because there was some guilt about we're supposed to be working for him and we're working more and more on this little side business. But instead of $100 a week from him, 1000 a week adjusted for inflation now, uh, instead of making uh, $100 a week with him rather quickly, we were making $40,000 a month. 400,000 in today's money and so on, and it went up from there rather quickly. But we wouldn't have had the courage to do that if my first mentor, my father, hadn't said, the party's over. Ben, was how, how long did he live after that to see what you did with this company? Not, not long enough. He died oh. at his desk. He, with a quarter in his pocket, I guess, because I didn't get a Snickers bar and I wasn't there. But he died at his desk at age 60. Oh, and by the time young. I was president of the company, um, uh, well, he, he, he was there for my presidency. What he wasn't there for that sort of broke my heart was when we started the call center business and opened the largest answering service call center uh, in the world with a national communication center. He didn't live to see any of that. And I would have really liked to have seen, you know, I'd like to show him what you did for me to stop me from dithering in the words of Dr. Hill to stop me from dithering was the biggest favor. Uh, you and I wouldn't be talking today if dad hadn't fired me. I would be running a, a medium-sized food brokerage company in Atlanta selling Hunt's ketchup to grocery stores. You know, you never know what's going to happen or why it happened, but mm-hmm. hindsight's always a terrific tool. And, you know, you just said something about dithering. The last conversation you and I had, and I talked with you about this before we actually started recording, but... I had to jump off of my comfortable stool, if you will, because I've been dithering for a variety of reasons. And 
I got good and mad about something. Mostly I was really mad at me and I just had a belly full and I fired myself and I fired my client. And I just said, I'm done with this. It's not working. I don't enjoy it. Let's finish this up and I'm going to move on to something else. And over that weekend, I built, and it's a God wink, and you and I have had these before, I built an entire new system. And I mean, I was on fire and I'm so excited about it, but I was telling my friend, Tammy, you know, you and I both know Tammy very well. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, when Ben and I were talking on the last podcast, we were talking about just do it. When, when Dr. Hill had you in the office and asking you why you kept having me, and I'm going to have to paraphrase, but everybody go listen to the last podcast. It's all there. But, you know, why you were having meeting after meeting after meeting, but you weren't pulling the trigger, so to speak. I pulled the trigger. And I said to Tammy, I said, you know, when Ben Gay speaks to you, when Dr. Napoleon Hill speaks to you through Ben Gay, you get off of your stool. You quit dithering. And I did. And I thank you both. So bless you guys. Uh, on behalf of Dr. Hill, <laughs> I'm glad you quit dithering. I know my Really, it, that story always warms my heart because dithering was a word from his generation. Mine, mine didn't even, we all know what the word means, but mine didn't even use it. And today, a, a kid, you'd probably have to spell it out and explain it. But from Dr. Hill, who was rather mild manner, I never saw him angry or anything. That was harsh. <laughs> You're dithering, Ben. Take action was exactly. part of the sentence. Yeah. Exactly. And I did. I mean, I had that memory in my head, and I was ready. Truthfully, I was just ready for it. But I had to get really mad. I mean, really mad. But I wasn't mad at the client or now former client. We have one more month to work. but. I was mad at myself for putting myself in that situation when I knew going into it, I probably didn't really want to do this anyway, but I did that's, it. And, and, and that's the key. Congratulations yep. on cutting the cord. But uh, looking back, I hope you uh, qualify the next group uh, that will come along a little more carefully. I had a guy, I probably told you this, but I had a guy, who called three or four times about becoming a mentee in my personal mentoring program. We call it Mentoring Dynamics. That was the name Rucker and I, uh, excuse me, Dr. Hill and I came up with Mentoring Dynamics, which is a pretty classy word, I think. But anyway, he called several times, and I, uh, I talked to him. I'm courteous if I'm available to do that. But he said, I keep trying to send you money to become uh, one of your mentees. I said, well, it's not going to happen. And he said, why not? And I said, you really want to know? And he said, yeah. I said, I don't like you. Mm -hmm. And there's no amount. There probably is amount of money. $10 million <laughs> a month. I'd take him to lunch, you know. But, uh, <laughs> so you can be bought. Yeah, oh, yeah. We all have a price. Mine's just a lot higher than it used to be. <laughs> yeah. But I, I had to tell him, you know, so, so that I didn't have to wait six months and fire him. I knew that's how it would end up, so I didn't start. Yeah, I wish I had made that decision, but there are reasons why I did it, and some sure. of them are actually very valid reasons, but my gut all along was saying, are you sure? 
So I didn't listen. (laughs) (laughs) But, but after it was done, the sense of relief was palpable. You know, I was like, okay, well, they went that chunk of money. Now what do I do? I know exactly what to do. And I stopped dithering. So thank you. Thank Dr. Hill. He blew me up short and taught me a lifelong lesson. That was over 50 years ago, and I think about it and use it almost every day in some major manner or minor manner. Well, and on top of that, and I've got this written on my my whiteboard, it's kind of a, a new version of what you're talking about, stop dithering and take action. But one of my podcast guests probably in the last year we were talking about various things and he said, I had to finally figure out in my life, big decisions, little decisions, whatever it was going to be. I had to ask myself two questions. Is it a hell? Yes. Or is it a hell? No. And I wrote this (laughs) and I wrote hell. Yes. Is on my, my board in black, but hell no is red. (laughs) Because that's a warning sign. (laughs) And I look up there and, you know, I'm getting better about, is this a yes or is it a no? I have to ask myself. We all should, really. Listen, Ben, we are running out of time. We always do this. Tell people where they can find you. I want you to let people know where they can go to find the closers and anything else you want people to know before we shut this down and start again next week. Well, we've been talking about personal mentoring and you do it in your field and I do it in mine. Uh, so be aware of that, folks. Uh, I do for others about 30, 35 at a time. I have a few openings right now, one death and three retirements. Um, the uh, I, I do for others what Dr. Hill did for me, and we call it Mentoring Dynamics. If you're interested, drop me an email at bfg3 at direct con.net that's b is in boy f is in frank g is in gay the numeral three at direct d-i-r-e-c-t-c-o-n as in november short for direct connect dot net and uh, just say i'm interested in mentoring as for the book uh you can google ben gay but you'll come up with lots of different places where you can get the book none of which have the pricing or the lifetime guarantees, or the free shipping of where I'm going to send you. If you want to get up to speed with what we talk about with the closers, go to stores, S-T-O-R-E-S dot eBay dot com forward slash, all one word, Ronzoni Books, R-O-N-Z-O-N-E-B-O-O-K-S. And they will ship to you. They bring them to me to be signed. Uh, It'll go out to you if you order before 2 California time. It'll go out that day, if not the next business day. And you'll have your books in just a few days' time. And then you'll be singing out of the same hymnal that uh, Denise and I sing out of. Well, I'm hoping that when people join us, or even they come back and listen later that they've got those books open. Like right now, you know, I'm looking at page 147 because we just finished 145, 146, 147. By the way, and I've been meaning to tell you this, Ben, one of the things that I really like about the closers part two is that your chapters are very short, two, three, maybe five pages at max, but yeah. they're pithy. They're very pithy, P-I-T-H-Y. 
they're short. They're <laughs> I'm telling you that I have a Southern accent, so I, well, I have a drawl, but I'm not sure what, you know, I don't want you to think I'm saying something ugly. I'm not P-I-T-H-Y, pithy, but they get to yeah. the point. They're concise. You don't have to go, what the heck is he saying? Oh, there it is. Got it. And you can move on to the next thing. So grab those books. I grew up, I grew up with a stack of Reader's Digest on the toilet cabinet, you know, with the water cabinet and the toilet. That's where my mother put them. And if you went to the restroom, you were expected to have read all or at least part of a Reader's Digest chapter and be prepared to, uh, to discuss it. It's where I developed my love of reading and where I became a generalist expert in many things. And I said that to say this, the closers part two especially is written in Reader's Digest format. Oh. Which reads, new subject, move on. Right. That's where I learned to, to write like that. That makes sense. And when I was a kid, we had reader, we had the condensed readers digest all over the house. I think my oh, grandparents yeah. Yeah. would come and they would leave them. And I might have liberated a few volumes. In fact, I'm, I know I did. I still have them. <laughs> <laughs> my mom would say, where is Merry Christmas, Mr. Baxter? I don't know. It's in my house. I'm not giving it back. Don't ask. <laughs> Towards the end of her, her life, she said, you can tell me the truth. Where is that book? I said, in my bedroom on the bookcase. She said, I knew you had it. <laughs> she knew. I had it. And I would not fess up. It was my book. <laughs> so I took it with me. You know, when you leave home, you know, you say, okay, I'm going to, I'm leaving. I'm never coming back. Blah, 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 blah. But I took, I think, five volumes of <laughs> Reader's Digest. I still have them all. Ben, thank you so much. Let's have, this is always a great conversation. I love talking with you. And we will pick up next week and you'll have to just go ahead and tell me what chapter we're going to be working from. Um, We've covered a lot and probably in the next one, I'll go ahead and list them so people know where we were, what we were talking about, and they could say, okay, I'm going to go back and listen to that one. So anyway, Let's close it down, and I will talk with you again soon. Have a wonderful day. Take care. Thanks. Bye.